everyone, and welcome to The Art of Podcasting, episode 29, Listener Q&A, recorded October 14th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. You may have noticed, if you listen to other shows on my network, we've been doing lots of listener Q&As lately. Let me tell you why. It's easy. So that's it. So this show, um, I'll be on. I'm just, you know, I'm piercing the fourth wall here, being honest with you. Um, at about 3 o'clock this afternoon, I sent the guys an email and said, you know, I haven't even thought about a topic for this show this week. You got any ideas? And James said, well, I've got a couple of questions people have asked me. Can we do a Q&A? And Steve's like, well, I've got some emails. So there we go. That's how a show is born. And of course, the James and the Steve I'm talking about are the Professor James Messer of ProfessorMesser.com. Hiya, James. Howdy, howdy, howdy. In fact, it was even better than that when you sent the email. I just blasted out to Twitter and Facebook and sent out the Google Pluses and got responses back. So it's not so surprising that we're actually trying to get the questions. The surprising part's that we got some. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and- good job. And the other half of that equation is Mr. Steve Cherubino of howtopodcast.biz. Hi, Steve. What's going on, guys? I'm doing good. I used to, usually used to, I say used to, up until today, uh, would would do a tweet and a Google Plus and a Facebook to all my various accounts. And um, last week, I thought, let me look and see how many people I'm reaching when I do that. So if I combine all my Twitter accounts and all my Facebook accounts and all my Google Plus accounts, my total global reach is right around 200 people. And I thought, you know, that's almost not worth the effort of composing 140 characters. Because <laughs> those 200 people, either A, are already going to listen to the show, or B, don't care about it. <laughs> that's a very positive way of looking at it. <laughs> I don't know. That's just, I've been one of those mood things. Of course, James has the vast reach of billions and billions of beings from all over the cosmos. So uh, he can get response. I, I don't know if I'm really hitting on their particular interest level since it's a little bit diverse from what they normally uh, participate in on my website but we got some got some feedback so that's good yeah see i i always thought it would be nice to reach that critical mass of numbers you know uh, 60,000 100,000 a million followers where you can actually start using twitter as a crowdsourcing tool but you really got to have major numbers to make that happen cuz my crowdsourcing on twitter is roughly equivalent of turning around saying hey guys what do you think of this and there's really <laughs> not a lot of difference you got to pay them off. Yeah, that's the trick. Yeah, you just got to pay your Twitter followers. If you offer money, then they will come. Oh, okay. Well, that's two different things. I have to offer them money or I have to pay them money. Which is it? Offer them and pay them when they subscribe. Oh, well, that's... That, I'm I just kidding, actually, guys. This is not how I get my Twitter <laughs> followers, but it sounds like a good idea. You know, I've seen those things where, you know, the ads online where, you know, for X a number of dollars, you can have 20,000 followers by morning. And uh, and from what here it works, you know. I'm sure it's bots or, or you know uh, uh, trojans and, and infecting people's machines and subscribing or something. I don't know how that works, but you know, if you're a guy who's all about just having the numbers on your Twitter feed, maybe it's a worthwhile business decision. Yeah, the yeah. shortcuts are always the worst cuts. They never do. <laughs> yeah, just want them to do. Well, that's a good point. So, uh, what you guys got going uh, this week? Oh, oh my gosh. You returned your iPad, Steve? Yes, my black iPad. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't return it. I traded it in to Best Buy, and um, I, I just wasn't using it, and I got kind of bored of it. And 
I returned it to Best, or I traded into Best Buy. They gave me 320 bucks, and I actually bought an HP Slimline Series S5-1224 desktop that I'm using right now for um, music production and whatever else I need to use it for. But it only comes with a Pentium. It's like a slow Pentium. It's like a G6 something. It was just, it's a weak processor. So I'm like, no problem. I'm a computer repair tech. I'm going to just buy an i7, throw it in there, and everything is going to be great. So I go out to CompUSA, buy the i7, fits perfectly in the socket, throw it in there, power it on, first thing on the screen. I mean, the BIOS came on. I mean, I installed it perfectly, just the right amount of thermal grease and everything. Screen comes on and says, this CPU is not compatible with this motherboard. Your computer will shut down in five seconds. So I said, not compatible? What is compatible with this thing? And I Googled this, this machine. I found out what processors were compatible. And the i7-2000 series or something like that was compatible. So I said, great, I'll go trade this in. I'll get an i7-2000 series. Went out and got the i7-2000 series, put it in. Perfect, just the right amount of tweaking on the, the, the uh, fan and the right amount of thermal grease and powered it on. I'm like, wow, this is going to be awesome. Next thing that pops up on the screen. This CPU is not compatible with this motherboard. I'm like, but it's 2000 series. And I looked on the paper, or I looked at the processor. It was a 2000K. Now, all the 2000s work, but not the 2000K. So this is a lesson learned. I'll just say oh. it now. If you put processor, just try to upgrade your processor and your motherboard, and it fits into the socket, that doesn't mean that your motherboard can handle it. So, so are you like on a first-name basis with all the customer service people around, with all the returns that you do? Dude, the funniest thing was at CompUSA, as I'm buying it, the girl, girl sold it to me. She's like, you know, if you open this, you can't return it because it's oh. a processor. And so I'm like, come, come on, why would I return this? That's exactly what I want. Of course it's going to work. And yeah, it didn't. So I went in there, begged the manager the first time. He said, I'll do it as a courtesy this time. And then when that processor didn't work, I went out to another CompUSA and I said, look, I can't go back to the other one because... I don't have the cojones to ask that guy again, so I'm asking you. And he did something. He helped me out. So Compu props to CompUSA. I, I told him I would mention it on my podcast. So thank you, CompUSA, for hooking me up. I got an i5. That's the only thing that would work with this thing. Anyway. Well, what's interesting, though, is the uh, the original Pentium processor you had had more guts in it than the iPad you returned. So it was still an upgrade. Yes, I consider it. This is going to get much more use than the iPad. So. Yeah. You have, how long have you had that out? You've had it a long time. You were able to, to get 800 bucks out of it, even though you've had it a couple of months? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, 300 bucks. Oh, 300. 300. Okay. I misheard that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. 300. That, that's, that makes a little more sense. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've been doing this weekend. So I, uh, I still have the original generation one iPad that I won in a raffle. And uh, it it does fine for what we need to do, and I have no interest in upgrading. However, if this persistent rumor that the Nexus a seven tablet is going to be uh, ninety nine dollars for the holidays, I will buy I literally buy one of those for every member of my family and spend less yeah. than if I bought an iPad. I would buy two for my cats, even. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's that game with the ants that or the that they would play? They would tap at it anyway. Uh, James, what about yourself? What's going on in your life? Well, like Steve, I, I took back my iPhone five and I got a, uh, Blackberry flip phone. Awesome. Uh, not, yeah. not a playbook from rim. You didn't get that. Uh, Wait, what yeah. are you saying? James, you saying I downgraded? <laughs> I'm just, 
I'm just participating. I'm just trying to be <laughs> I, one of the I guys. caught that. I, I picked up on that. <laughs> I would never. I know a, a lot of people actually would think I'm crazy for returning that and getting a slow HP machine, but that's what I wanted. I'm weird. It's something you can use. That's that's the number one rule: is get something you can use. I'm at I'm at the point with my business lease. I I lease all of my computer equipment. So the the machine you're seeing me on right now, off if people are watching the live stream. Is is on equipment that I don't own. I lease everything, and uh, it's my favorite time of the lease because the lease is coming to an end. So now I get to pick brand new hardware to get with uh, with the new lease. So that's what I've been doing this weekend is just drooling over the latest thing that I want to put in my office, and I'm still vacillating over exactly what I want to put in and how I want to do it. But it's nice to have the end of the lease. You can think about. The, the way you should have done it the first time. And now I can can get some other equipment and hopefully have a story once we get all that done. And see, I like people who do that because then I can buy all your off-lease equipment that has barely been used at a fraction of the cost of what it would be new. Very, very true. Now, the equipment I did this time, there's a, a few options on the lease that I did. So if, if, you're, if you're starting a business or you want to start a business, first, every large company that makes equipment has small business leasing options. So if you build up an LLC or you build up an incorporation and you want to get equipment, it's a great way to do it because they effectively are financing the cost of that equipment over a year or two years or whatever you set up. And you have some options. Uh, the lease that I'm in is one where I can lease it. And then at the end of the lease, I could buy it for the current market value of the, of the product. You also have an option where at the end of the lease, you can buy it for a dollar. And then there's another option at the end of the lease. You own it. It effectively becomes yours at that point. Well, that's so, rent to own. That's that's going it, to rent a center at that point. The costs, as, as you might think, the costs go up monthly because of that. So there are, there are some nice options there because some people want to have that at the end of it. It is a lease. So as a business, although it is quote unquote rent to own, you don't own it and you get the, the tax benefit of a business expense instead of buying that as a capital expenditure. So there's, there's some nice tax benefits associated with doing that. But I just love looking at the new stuff and drooling over it and thinking, that's the box I'm going to get right there. And I'm going to get it with this configuration and we're going to load it up to do this particular thing. So this will be nice to, to upgrade and get all new stuff. That sounds fun. I've never done the lease on anything ever. I've never leased anything other than a house uh, because I've never, when, when you sit down and do the math, it's almost always a bad deal. In, in, in terms of raw numbers. Now I get what you're saying. There's the depreciation value and, and you get the, the tax uh, write-offs and that sort of thing. But even that, I've never done the math on it and seen it as a good deal. Uh, you're generally paying for something and then giving it back is you know kind of the way it works. You are. There's, there's so many trade-offs. I have a, a management degree. So part of that management degree was taking financial accounting classes and they just love to give you lease versus buy scenarios. And of course, it deals with uh, time value of money. You have to configure how that you're going to depreciate it. There's all these variables associated with it. Sometimes it just turns into, I don't have enough money in my pocket to buy X number of thousand dollars worth of equipment and own it. 
So sometimes it's, it's uh, I'm paying a little extra, but I'm now able to get the equipment that I needed while at the same time, because I got the equipment, I was able to make money with it. That's the really important part of the, the equation is hopefully doing this, you're going to be able to actually have a business to do something with that technology that you're buying. So um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weighing back and forth of exactly what you're going to do. Yeah, I know people who always lease cars. And and I know we're talking about that's a whole different thing, but every time I've I've looked at leasing a car, it's like okay, it's one hundred ninety nine dollars a month for sixty months, and then a fifteen thousand dollar balloon payment, which is exactly the cost of the car minus one hundred ninety nine dollars sixty times. So it's exactly the same amount, but somehow it makes you feel better. I I just figure if you're buying a car, you don't win regardless what you do. So <laughs> that's just, a good point. There you go. I buy yes. new every decade and a half. That's that's the exactly. way I do it. I buy a new car, brand new, spend as much as I can afford, get all the bells and whistles, and then drive it until the wheels fall off. You that's the, the way numbers. I do it. It's a great deal. Yeah, I can't do that. I have to have new shiny toys every couple, every once in a while, even cars. Yeah, but. and and there you know there are people who get and for people who've consigned themselves to always making a payment on something, be it a car or whatever, then at least makes sense because it's a smaller payment, and you're just always going to have a payment. But the way I like to do it is bite the bullet. And, and suck up a big payment for a short period of time and then have it for free, essentially, for the rest of the life of the, the equipment. Just a, a, a difference in uh, uh, personality, as I'd say, more than anything else. Sounds good. So, anyway. Um, anything else about leasing versus... This is, this is a conversation that has ramifications far beyond podcasting, but uh, it's, no. you know, it could be both interesting and boring, depending on how we treat it. Any other comments on that? Nah. Have you decided what you're going to get, James, or are you still in the process of that? No, I'm still figuring it out. There's these things where you're you're thinking about podcasting, you're thinking about editing audio, audit, uh, editing video. There's clearly going to be an extensive amount of SSDs involved, which is something nice. that I didn't have available to me when I got this two years ago. Or when I when I was planning it, the numbers just didn't work out that I could get it. So and I, that was a mistake I made. I should have gotten SSD. The extra cost would have been worth it. So lesson learned. And now I'm absolutely going to get that in there. There will still be big monitors. There will still be some other options. But there will be new technologies like um, like being able to have a, a Thunderbolt connection, have a very, very high-speed connection for some of this video input. So I'm hoping to migrate into a streaming video, which is not showing you through HD from my camera. I'm looking to take my actual video camera and HDMI directly into my computer. So hopefully that will work out. We've been having sort of a, a discussion for a couple of weeks on on my Linux show, Everyday Linux, about SSDs and the proper way to treat them. and um, how to uh uh should you put swap on the ssd should you uh put your temp file storage on the ssd or not see if you're le leasing it i say throw everything on the ssd just wear the crap out of that thing for two years and then give it to somebody else that's the that's the way you do it right there you get the maximum benefit and you don't have to tear about the repercussions yeah these days you do the math and you can just write to the ssd all day every day ad infinitum for for five or six years right. before you're ever hitting a point where you would ever need to worry about it. in five or six years you're not going to be using that piece of equipment anymore so See, that's the difference between you and me i will be in five oh, years okay <laughs> it's 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 only got half its life used oh. up in five years come on mark you're like rolling in the dough now you could you should buy all new stuff <laughs> my element op empire is that what you're talking about <laughs> 
I um, I'm I just again with everything. That's the thing. I buy new and keep it forever. So uh, you know, some of the laptops that I'm using to actually produce this show right now are. Seven oh, don't, years I don't old, even want to know. know. I don't even want to know. That would be hurt me to know that. <laughs> yeah, they're they're ancient. <laughs> Cry a little inside. I don't know. My brother told me today he was going to sell a, a laptop on Craigslist, and it was a compact. I think Presario twenty one hundred. I th- I think it might be Pentium three, or maybe Pentium oh, four. Nice. Early. Yeah. I'm like that. That's her. That hurts. Let's just say I've still got Celerons in daily use. <laughs> well, they still make Celerons. Well, that's they're newer true. Celerons. They do. When they're so. they're the Pentiums of the day, really. Yeah. Yeah. The modern cell. Anyway, so a question and answer time. We've got some uh, from James and some from Steve and some from me. So I think we'll go in round robin order and they'll start. The first one was a tweet to the professor. Uh, it's from uh, our old friend, Jim Beeson, who's usually hanging around in the chat room. And he says, if I, what if I want to do a podcast, but get someone else to produce it like Mark? That's a great idea. <laughs> What's different. <laughs> what are the differences versus doing the whole thing? Uh, well, uh, first off, Jim, you can't afford my rates. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my answer is I have no idea because I'm not producing it. Yeah. That, that's a good, I mean, it's a broad question. You have to find somebody that produces podcasts for people. I don't even know anybody that would do it. I, I would hope more people would want to do something like that. What if you had a great idea for a podcast, but you weren't a technical person? And as yeah. much as try to make it easier and there's plenty of tools available producing a podcast is is a is a relatively complex lots of moving parts and and in some cases highly technical thing to put together and um i would imagine because i i deal with professionals all the time who aren't in technology um they're lawyers they're doctors they're uh, they own a market they they have a small store and they have some great ideas for communicating with people and they just have no way to produce that podcast in a, in a manner that really makes sense for them. And, and you would hope that more people would catch on to, to making that happen. But we, we've had this conversation before about how podcasting is not one of those things where you can go to television and hit the power and it's now feeding you that information. There's an, an active thing you have to do to get that podcast. And even that process is a couple of steps right. to find the podcast you want and get it downloaded and be able to listen to it. So um, I, and it's probably a better question for you, Mark. Is is you you produce and 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 do a lot of work for a lot of different podcasts? Was that the idea to start with, or did it just turn out that way? Well, initially, uh, it was just one show, and I liked doing it so much. I started doing others, uh, and it just sort of went from there. Uh, but I, I don't think I've ever mentioned this in a public forum or not. But one of the things that I have considered a, a revenue stream, if you will, is doing exactly that, being a producer for hire and, sure. and saying, I will uh, set up your, you know, I will charge you for it. I will bill you for it, but I will go out and get a hosting. I will go get you a hosting account and I will set that up and I will set up the domain. I'll set up the DNS entries. I will do a turnkey thing. All you have to do is show up. And I will, I will make the Skype calls to you and to your other co-hosts or guests or whatever. I will hit record. I will do everything. All you got to do is show up. Um, but that's going to be expensive, you know, uh, because there's, like you said, there are a lot of moving parts in that, and that is specialized work. And uh, there have been a couple of people, I think actually three over the course of, the, of a couple of years, have, have asked me about that. Would I be interested in doing that? 
And when I told them my rates, which are which are not unreasonable, uh, I, I said, you know, ballpark for an hour show, expect to pay a hundred bucks for an episode, uh, for for the production and all of that, which I don't think is an unreasonable rate at all. No, not and, at all. And, low. Actually. Yeah, it's it's actually it is it is very low, but you know that's sort of my starting point. Right. And, and then when I get better at it, and I said if you want to do video, uh, you're going to triple that. Uh, for video, I'm going to make it 300 bucks for an hour show. Um, and uh, ev- to all three of those people who've approached me have all said, "Yeah, I don't want to do that." But you know, and I get that. I understand that because that's a commitment. Um, you're gonna you're gonna be if you're doing four shows a week, you're looking at uh, 400 bucks a month plus whatever I'm going to bill you for the hosting and all that sort of stuff. So you know, you're looking at uh, uh, you know, five hundred to a thousand dollars a month to do a podcast uh, and do it right. Um, Wait, four shows a week, and you're doing a hundred bucks per show? Yeah, that's twelve hundred a month. It's, um, to carry well, the- <laughs> no, no, I meant four four shows a month. I'm sorry, I said a week. Okay, okay. Four shows a month, a show every week. Four shows a month. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and uh, and then you know the like I would probably do a Libsyn account. That's there's you know fifty bucks a month there, and and your hosting account that's going to be you know depending on what you want. So you know all of that sort of stuff. It's going to add up to you know ballpark seven fifty eight hundred a month to yeah. do to do a weekly show. That's um, expensive. That's a that's a lot I of mean, money. I mean it's 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 actually not expensive as far as like production of like videos. But for somebody who's doing a podcast, which probably means they don't have like a audience yet, you know, they don't, this is not going out on like NBC. This is a podcast that they're trying to start. They're not going to make money immediately through it. So it's got to be like, they, they have to have some like long-term look to make that really fit into their business plan, I think. But I guarantee you there is a sweet spot and I have seen this sweet spot myself with large companies. And I say large, I mean, they could even be public companies, but not these monster size companies. I'm not talking about an Apple or an HP or any of those large companies, but there are these smaller organizations have these small marketing groups that would love to have a weekly podcast that talked about their products or talked about what they did. Have you ever heard a marketing group's podcast that put it together completely from a marketing perspective with the hope yeah, that it was not awesome. their product. They're awful. They are. I know. They're unlistenable. You can't do it because they don't understand what it is they're really supposed to be getting across to people who are listening. They don't understand that it should be something that is entertaining, that is informational, and it's not just a big, long commercial. And exactly. they've got a nice marketing budget. There's a hundred dollars for a podcast. That's easy. Sure. Well, we got, I got that in my drawer. Here you go. We'll give you that. If they could only get somebody who with the expertise to do it, it's not an enormous market, but I guarantee you it's there. Yeah. Uber geek in the chat room says, uh, you know, Microsoft, uh, go, go to, go to YouTube and, and go and search for uh, uh Microsoft promotional video. And you'll see a, some fine examples of a big budget, flop where they spent a lot of money and had actors and and writers and sets and didn't make anything worth watching what show is it again mark any of the microsoft promotional videos like oh, they, oh, okay yeah so like uh the, when they had their windows 7 campaign and they were talking about that remember the windows 7 house parties awful remember those that those? was the so we're gonna look back on that in 20 years that's gonna be like a cult classic video <laughs> guaranteed yeah yeah, I, I cringe. Microsoft throws away so much money. I you just have to cringe. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking any any second year film student 
at an unaccredited uh, university could do a better job than Microsoft, the multi-billion dollar corporation did. <laughs> but I'll tell you that uh, that Windows 7 house party video, great lighting. <laughs> yes, yes. It was I'll, bet, I'll, bet, I'll bet everything but the acting was spot on. The audio was good. The lighting was excellent. And the acting was terrible and the script was worse. Awful. <laughs> Or, or I remember this is going way back the 1995, the Windows 95 release where they had these people. Oh, so I can simply double click to copy a floppy disk. Uh, I think they called it a floppy diskette. Even it was an innocent time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, to answer your question, Jim, um, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that, but probably the the most cost effective is going to be you and your co-host record your Skype call at either end, assuming you're remote. If you're in the same room, uh, you work out a way to to record it with your own equipment uh, on the left track of, uh, in the right track of a stereo recorder, something like that. But somehow get it so that you're on two separate tracks. Then send those to your producer, who will make magic with it, and send you back the MP3 that you publish. That's the most cost-effective way to do it. Uh, and, and that way you get somebody who knows how to do editing, doing the editing. I will Sounds tell good. you if somebody is, is just a little bit uh, knowledgeable with some of the technical aspects. You mentioned Libsyn, liberated syndication at Libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. They have a, a really nice front end. People who really know the ins and outs of podcasting do it themselves. But if you needed a really easy to use front end to get things published so that it would work with RSS feeds and iTunes and all of those things, they've got a very nice type in the fields and click a button kind of publishing scenario. Really good. Yeah, from from my understanding, Libsyn's kind of been there from the beginning. I think in po podcasting, there's other sites that have come up. Like I, I don't, I've never used them, but just these are just popping into my mind. I think like Podbean, or different sites that kind of do that, where they they basically give you a platform where you could do a podcast very easily. But Libsyn is, I think, pretty much tried and true. So you, I don't think you could really go wrong with those guys. And they're, you know, depending on your point of view, they're either very expensive or very reasonable. Um, you know, it's their plans are 50 to a hundred bucks a month, something like that, which can be astronomical if you're just a guy in your bedroom making a, a video, a podcast, or they can be, you know, dirt cheap if, uh, if you have some, have a budget. So yeah, it just depends on yeah. your point of view. I still use shared hosting for everything. Yeah, I do too. I, I'm the guy who uses, when I see unlimited, I push unlimited to the maximum. Yeah. Even though it's not really unlimited. It's unlimited till you reach the limit. Right. I still go. I go for the limit. And you know, I, my site has been slowing down as my <laughs> podcasts have gotten more popular. So I'm, I'm at the point of um, I'm going to have to move that in the very near future. But uh, they'll they'll tell you. Yeah. I'm well, I mean, just you. in terms of performance, I, I'm uh, I'm really? getting to be unhappy with the performance of the website. Well, so. you don't know if that's if you're on shared hosting, you don't know if that's you that's causing that. Well, that's, that's true, but it, it has tracked with my, you know, growth uh, of downloads. So it I seems see. reasonable. So, so everybody else in the server is mad at me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'll probably having to, uh, be having to, to move off of that, but uh, I got two years out of them for, you know, 80 bucks a year. So it, it's kind of hard to, to, to be upset about that. Yeah. All right. Can I do an email here? Please do. Uh, this is from Corey. Corey Knapp, in fact, who is, uh, you say, a semi-regular guest on uh, the 
the periodic table, right? Yes. Mark? Yes. Uh, he sent me an email a couple weeks ago, maybe months ago. Uh, he doesn't even know I'm reading this, but I'm just it's it fits. So here we go. He says, "Hey Steve, um, I have a question about uh, recording. I have a question regarding recording Skype. I'm going to be on Mark's periodic table next week. I just want to re I just want to record my side of the conversation for him because I think that he likes to have." the audio as a fallback. How would I go about doing this? I have audacity and I can get something else if necessary. If you are still planning to do some more PodNuts shows, send me an email and I'd be happy to be a guest. Thank you so much for your time, Corey. Yeah, Corey has been a guest on PodNuts Daily shows as well. Really great guy. And um, he's definitely um, ramping up his podcasting gear because I've gotten a couple emails from him regarding uh, equipment. But let's start with this one. There's two things I would do. First of all, I would definitely use Audacity. You can't you can't go wrong with Audacity. It's free and it records as high quality as you can input in your computer. Audacity can pretty much handle it. And you could save it as a WAV file and then you could convert that down. A WAV file is lossless. So you're gonna have like no compression done. It's gonna sound great. Or if you know Mark needed this audio and he wanted it in a smaller format, you just you know bring it down to an MP3 or something. But all you gotta do is start Audacity, hit the record button. You know, start Skype, start talking, make sure that Audacity is recording it. And it, it's just literally that easy. With Audacity, most of the time, all you got to do is start the program and hit the red button and you're good. If you don't want to go that route and you want something more integrated into Skype, there's a site and service called CallBurner. Yeah, CallBurner. It's like, got like a little chili pepper looking logo. And CallBurner can record your side and the person you're talking to's side of the Skype conversation. I'm not 100% sure how good the audio quality is, but I know it's adjustable and I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% because I think I've tried this before. You guys will have to test it on your own. And I don't think the quality was up to par. Yeah, it's not great. Was, it's not it's great. It's not? Okay. Okay. Well, that's a super easy way to record crappy audio with Skype. <laughs> but I have, uh, during uh, um, the time when I was in transition moving uh, from Texas to Georgia, the couple of shows went on without me. And of course I wasn't here to, to do all the production and they used a call burner and sent me the files and I edited them and posted them. And you know, they were, they were not up to my standards, but they weren't terrible. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't like being on a, on a telephone call. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, you know, it's not Skype quality. You don't get the Skype quality, unfortunately, uh, okay. out of Skype, even though it's a Skype call, but it works and it's, it's really, yeah. It's really easy, and and one thing that we we glossed over both your email and and uh, my response earlier, one of the hardest things about having a remote producer is simply getting the files to them. It's ridiculous that in the year twenty twelve it is so hard to send a big file to somebody, but it is. Yeah. It's really hard to send a big file. So if you want to send uh, an uncompressed wave of an hour conversation, yeah, good luck with that. Hey, you're gonna. I've have been I've been using Dropbox, and then as soon as the person downloads it, you just delete it out of your Dropbox if you if you have a small Dropbox account. Yeah. But I've been using I, I upload it to my Dropbox, and I right click it and pick Share Link or Get Link right. just for that file, so they can't go you know rummaging through your whole Dropbox. Send them the link, they download it, then delete the file. That's but on what this, I've been doing on this show using Audacity. Uh, the the three of us, the three multi tracks, will result in a four gig file, uncompressed. So you can zip that down to maybe, maybe three gigs. No, but I, even with audio, I don't think it'll zip even that yeah. small. And and Dropbox isn't going to work for that. Yeah, FTP. Yeah, you'd have to push it up to your some server somewhere 
which is going to take a while because upload is always the slowest part of the process. And then they're going to have to download it, which is going to take a while. So that, just beware that if your producer isn't the one originating the files, you're going to run into problems like that. And it's going to uh, extend the time it takes to turn around your show. Like I, if I wanted to, I could have this show posted tonight. But if you guys have to send me your audio, it would be at least two more days just to make all that happen. Gotcha. So just Makes something sense. to think about. Yeah. I'll put it on a floppy diskette. <laughs> yes. And I will mail it to you. Double-sided, double-density, I hope. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact is, you know, I've got uh, uh, the biggest package I could buy without going into the business. And my upload speed is three to four megs a second, megabits um, per second. Can I get Fios, Mark? Yeah, well. Uh, but so let's say I'm sending it off to Steve, who has 50 megabit Fios, right? It's still going to transfer at five megabits per second on a good day, you know, at, at the absolute best, if I'm not doing anything else. Uh, so it's going to take a while to upload a big file. So the, I guess the moral of that story is you have to make um, your concessions where you can. You may want to send MP3 files, which is lossy, and, and you're going to lose data, but it's it's more functional. Uh, so, you know, you got to go somewhere. And that's what where, where Callburner, they made that trade-off. They're using a small, uh, very compressed file that you can actually send back and forth in an email if you have to. Yeah, good point. That's probably why they did that. I just hate bad sound quality. I agree. We're all we're all self-admitted audio snobs. That sounded more like uh, Larry Flint than the bad sound quality. I, we're bringing the, the funny today. I'll, actually, let me talk about one thing here. It just reminded me of that. Uh, I got an interview request, which I don't get much. So I was, I was kind of, I like getting interviewed requests. I like getting interviewed. It's amazing. You could start a podcast network. You interview everybody you could find, but nobody wants to interview you. But uh, one guy from a site called um, <laughs> entrepreneuronfire.com, uh, John Dumas, contacted me and he wanted to interview me. Um, First of all, that's a great site. I've been listening to it all week. So John's doing a good job on that, getting some great people on there. I am not of the caliber of the other people on that show, just so you know. But he bought my hat of podcast videos when he was deciding to start the podcast. So he thought that I would be a good person to interview. Anyway, with my current setup, which is just, uh, what mics are we using? The, the Heil PR40s? Uh-huh. He said out of everybody, he's interviewed like 20 people so far. He's like, do you have the best sound of mm-hmm. all the people I've interviewed. He's like, you won't believe some of the people I interview are calling me on cell phones and they're just talking in their laptop mics. And he was very happy to have good quality sound. So that's probably another thing to give to a who somebody wants to produce your podcast is a good quality sound. I think that's what I, where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> well, that's where you yeah. ended up with it. <laughs> yeah. And my show hasn't been released yet, so it's not up on the site. But All right. He's so doing a good job with them. Any other thoughts on that uh, email? Guess not. All right, no. so I'll I'll go with mine, and this first one is a short one uh, from uh, Bjorn. Actually, he sent two of them. Uh, uh, BJ uh, Barrett at uh, askbj.net. Free plug there. Um, he says, I know you're a fan of the DBX uh, uh, for the compressor, but the but Behringer makes an MDX 2600 that's a little cheaper. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um this is an uneducated thought because I have not used the Behringer MDX 2600. Uh, but I will say that my experience with Behringer in the past is it really is a coin flip. It can be really good or really bad, and you never know. 
I've never on heard the, anybody say that about DBX. On the home recording show, they call Behringer the B word. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have. I haven't had bad experience with Behringer. But I've heard about bad experience with Behringer. So yeah, I, I don't have, I'm not very educated on it either. But actually, every Behringer product I've had, I, I haven't had a complaint. Yeah, I just I, haven't had too many. In my experience with Behringer, it's literally been a 50-50 thing. Half of the stuff I thought was great, and I couldn't believe it was such a great deal. And the other half, I understood why it was such a great deal. Uh, so, you know, uh, I would say if you're going to check it out, buy for some place with a liberal return policy. And professional recording studios. You won't see Behringer stuff in there unless it's like some classic thing that they made that only like they're one of their best products ever. And it was just a fluke that it was so good type of product. Um, but they, you will see professional DBX uh, equipment in professional recording studios. And I would personally, it is just my own bias. All right. I'm, I'm fully admitting that it's not based on any empirical evidence, but I would rather buy used DBX than new Behringer. So, and, and at that point, cost isn't an issue because it's going to be about the same cost. We should try to get Behringer as a sponsor after this <laughs> show. <laughs> well, you know, I dare you, Behringer, prove me wrong. Send me some of your best gear. I'll give it an honest review. And if I'm wrong, I'll eat my words. I'm fine with that. Yeah. James, any comment from you on that? The only Behringer piece of equipment I have is a $19 um analog to digital USB converter with the little RCA jacks on it is it's so I just know nothing to add to this at all completely ignorant you know Lalo and Matt Rainey who do Podnuts Pro Lalo uses a Behringer mixer with a Behringer condenser mic and to record Matt's audio he uses the same card James just talked about which is a Behringer so that's like 100% Behringer there and it sounds pretty good so so there you go. What my my experience with them when I said the the fifty fifty is uh, a couple of things I bought were just uh, low build quality and not durable. Uh, but across the board, in my experience, they use very noisy components. Yeah, noisy that's what parts. I heard too. That's yeah. what I heard too. Now, Alesis, I would say the same thing about Alesis. Um, the board that I'm using right now. Uh, the some of the inputs are very uh, noisy, and some of them aren't uh, on the same board. You know, so it's it's not even uh, going across different uh, pieces of equipment. On this one, some some of the pots on the board are noisy, and some aren't. So that's a thing. Anytime you're buying uh, sub pro equipment, noisy uh, components are going to be an issue. It's just almost a given. Yeah, good point. Because there's a reason those other things are more expensive. Don't you just hate that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I would like it if the best stuff were free all the time. <laughs> okay, so James, uh, back to you. Your next question. Of course. And me being completely ready to go with this, I need to stall for a moment. Okay. I uh, had another question. This was uh, from Facebook. Uh, Jason Kunselman was nice enough to send me a note there that said, what does it take to get started? What should I what should I get? Now, we've had an entire episode of what we did that talked about a lot of different pieces of equipment that you might want for getting started. But along those lines, and keep in mind we're we're talking about someone who's starting with podcasting, why don't we pick one thing? What is what is the one piece of equipment, piece of software or thing that they would need that you think that 
they would need is probably one of the most important pieces of their getting started gear. Who wants to start? Can I? Go. Go James, I'm going to have to say the one thing has to be a bundle. And that you could buy a bundle is one thing. And I, what I mean by a bundle is an audio interface, mic, cable, headphones. That's and cheating. Rec- okay. But you can't do it without all those things. <laughs> I, I would. I really like the Focusrite 2i2. It's small, compact. It's built good. It's got good preamps. Get the Focusrite 2i2, SM58. You can start podcasting. So the Focusrite 2i2, that's your audio interface, your USB yeah. interface? That's the USB audio interface. It's USB 2.0. It's red, if that means anything, <laughs> if you it's like important. color. And um, the SM58 is just can't go wrong with one of them. Because Steve would never, ever buy a white product. <laughs> I got rid of all my Apple and all my... Actually, I never had a white product, but I got rid of all my <laughs> Apple products. Um, I, I say um, interface. Uh, Bird King in the chat room says the computer is the most important thing. I know people, professional podcasters, who don't use computers at all. They use digital recorders. Um, but you can use a computer because the odds are you've already got one. Use so, a computer. So I'm assuming that that's not on your list. If you're starting from with nothing, obviously you can't do this without a computer. But assuming you already have a computer laying around, the interface is the most important thing. You can plug a super high-quality mic into a crappy interface, and it'll sound like garbage. Conversely, you can plug a, a mediocre mic into a good interface and get decent sound. So, um, you know, I would say go with a cheap mic. The Audio Technica M4000 is my go-to cheap mic. Um, if you buy them uh, in bundles, uh, you can get them as low as twenty bucks a piece. If you buy them by by the singles, they're they're really expensive. They're sixty bucks a piece. Uh, so they're not they're not high uh, they're not expensive mics. And I used one for the first eighteen months of my podcasting career before I moved on to this uh, high LPR forty that I have now. It's a good thing. So get a cheap mic. Uh, pick one up at a pawn shop somewhere, uh, or even just a good, uh, you know, USB headset mic if you have to. Uh, but the, oh, that hurts. The, well, I said if you have to. But the interface is going to be the the thing that connects your voice to the computer. Uh, if you're going to buy one thing, uh, invest your money there. And my my selection was also an interface, and it was one that I recently retired, but not because it wasn't a valuable piece of equipment because I upgraded my USB interface and that was the Griffin iMic at griffintechnology.com which is a $40 retail interface it's a USB interface very simple it's got an input it's got an output they are eight, they are a eighth inch jack so they're very they're very small not really a professional type configuration but if you're just getting started and you have a you know one of those microphones just like you were mentioning Mark uh, there was there was a a package that I used once that that had a it was a green screen package that had a, a video uh, recording system. This was way back in the day. It was ultimately one that was bought by Adobe and then they threw it down the drain. But it came with a green screen and it came with software and it came with this little cheap microphone that clearly was made in, in somewhere in China. And I, I had no good microphones at the time. And for something that came out of a box, I mean, literally it looked like it was a, a Cracker Jack box. It sounded pretty good. So the point you just made about even an okay microphone, if you have a good interface, that makes all the difference. And the reason I mentioned the iMic and I think the reason you guys mentioned the interfaces is when you plug in directly analog 
audio microphone jacks on the back of a computer, there's a lot of RF noise inside oh, of your they're, computer. They're the it's, worst. They are the worst. So you'll have a hard drive spinning and, re- and grabbing information and pulling it across cables that are inside of your computer. And when you can hear it when you're you're making the recording. And, and I can't tell you how many times I have pulled up a brand new podcast. I want to learn more about this podcast. I listen in and 30 seconds later, I just have to turn it off. The audio is bad. The, there, I was listening to a replay of a conference and the guy who was at the conference during the recording was tapping his fingers on the desk <laughs> the whole time. And I really, really, really wanted the information that was in there. But it's those little things that just drive you crazy when you're listening on the other end. Um, so, yeah, get a good interface and get a even a, a relatively decent microphone. The SM58 is a really good one. It's 90 bucks, though. But if you have a, a relatively inexpensive mic and you put it in the right place, try Try making sure that you aren't popping it and it's not here. You don't, don't hear you breathe when you're doing the podcast. You will be just fine. That's good advice. And the, the one thing that you can't start out with that's the most important tool in your arsenal is experience. Just be prepared to mess up and, and know that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, you know what James was talking about the the when I first started podcasting, I was recording directly into a laptop because it's what I had, and it very faintly in the background it sounded like a, a telegraph operator was working. Everything you know was constant, just way back there, and I you know I had to work to uh, minimize that using uh, after uh, processing in Audacity. But yeah, it's it, that's going to be there if you're using uh, the internal components of a computer. So just don't. Avoid that at all costs. Don't go like that. Moving things out to USB helps a lot. That And that's a reason why you should use a computer too instead of a just a digital recorder because you could edit out noise and stuff with Audacity. Or I started off with GarageBand and I did tons of editing on my first podcast. And it was like a 10-minute show. It took me like three hours to edit, I think. <laughs> that's Mike Smith quality editing right there. Yeah, beyond that. All right, so Steve, back to you. Pick one. Uh, I like the one. It's a little broad. No, let's do this one. It's specific. He says, uh, this is from Jeremy. He says, I heard you speak about using Reaper for multi-track recording. I use the same mixer as Mark on the Art of Podcasting show, the Alesis Multimix 8. I'm trying to multi-track record but only channels input one and two are showing signals, even though the board shows that their signals for all the channels are good. Do you know how to set up Reaper so I can use it? Now, he basically has an eight-channel mixer, right, Mark? Is that how, what you have? Yes. Channel mixer? Yes. And only channels one and two are being recognized by Reaper, which is, Reaper is just a recording software similar to Audacity and similar to Studio One, which I use, and GarageBand, except it's really cheap and it's really pro and it's so customizable, you'll, you'll freak. You'll probably be overwhelmed when you try to use it for the first time. Anyway, it's capable of doing multi-track recording. Now, multi-track recording is, in my opinion, for podcasting is so important because you could put everybody's voice on their own separate track and you could adjust equalizer, compression for each person separately. So it's awesome. Um, So you would want to get all the tracks working like Mark does on his mixer. Um, The problem you're probably having with doing that is the driver 
is what I would say, Jeremy, is the problem. You're probably using a generic USB driver, whereas the Multimix comes with an ASIO driver, A-S-I-O, which stands for Mark... God, I don't know. Ah, oh, I don't know either. But uh, you want to use an ASIO driver when you're using um, equipment like, like a multi-track recorder. And once you install that driver and then you tell Reaper... Audio want- stream input output. I Googled it. All right, thanks. Um, so use the the ASIO driver. Tell Reaper, I don't want to use the Windows driver. I don't want to use the MMX driver, whatever the heck that's called. I want to use the ASIO driver from the Multimix because if you installed it, it should be in the list. Pick that and you'll have access to all, all the tracks. Yeah, and all I, can, the channels. I can speak to this personally because A, I know Jeremy and B, I know the equipment he's using and I've, I've been down this road. Uh, oh, you, you need to go download uh, an external ASIO driver. The, the Alesis board does not come with one. It comes with a direct sound driver, which, uh, which I use with Windows XP and, and that works. Uh, Windows 7, I'm, I'm making the assumption here, it's not in your... Uh, your question, but I'm making the assumption that you're using Windows 7. Uh, the uh, the direct sound driver in Windows 7 that ships with the Alesis is two-track only, and Alesis is okay with that. I, I went all the way down to, to talking with one of their chief software engineers uh, a couple years ago when I was trying to troubleshoot this problem, and they considered that an acceptable level of performance. Even though they have already written drivers in the past, that do multi-track. They're okay with that. So they just don't care. The solution is download a driver called ASIO for all. A-S-I-O, the, the numeral four, A-L-L. It's a free uh, ASIO driver that you can put on your machine. The Alesis will recognize it. Uh, a Reaper will recognize it. And you will have full, uh, uh, in, the, in the case of the board, you have 10 channels. You'll have all wow. eight individual channels plus the stereo channel if you want it. Uh, that's how I have my Windows 7 machine recording uh, with Reaper when I do it. So that's the trick. Took me a while to find it. But ASIO for all is the name of the driver. It is free. Uh, it's open source. It's uh, available. Go get it, and it will solve your problems. Uh, you have to tell Reaper to use it specifically. You have to go into Reaper settings and say, this is the driver I want to use, and it will work. ASIO drivers are just so powerful because they they bypass the application completely and they talk directly to the sound hardware, which you don't get a lot in Windows. It's a very specific Windows feature that allows that particular driver to do that. It's very similar to using DMA with hard drives, which is direct media access, where the hard drive can talk directly to memory. So you have very good response time. Take that same concept and bring it into audio. And now your your uh your your application can now, instead of passing through Windows, because Windows has a lot of things that it does with audio, it says, forget Windows, I'm talking directly to that mixer. And wow, look at all these interfaces now. Look at all these inputs and I can do everything now. And that's why the latency is so low because it's talking directly to the hardware. And now a lot of times, especially if you have a lot of different pieces of audio, you have people calling in, you're talking, there are milliseconds of of delays that the operating system can put there because you're talking directly to the hardware that much faster. Yeah, I actually didn't know the background of it or the theory behind it, like James just explained. So that that was good to know. But as and I'm just saying, ASIO for all, I would install that even if you're doing any kind of audio production and you're using the sound card inside your computer, not an, ex- not an external one, not a USB interface. If you're stuck using the sound card in your computer, download ASIO for all and use that. It'll work with the uh, inputs and outputs 
that come with your machine too, the ones that are on your motherboard, the ones that are on your laptop. And like James said, it'll knock your latency down really low. So if you're doing any type of music recording, that's key. And plus, if you want to monitor yourself in your, in your ears while you're talking, that's also key. So ASIO for all is just a killer tool. But uh, I didn't know that, James, that it communicates directly to the equipment. That's good stuff to know. Yep. And uh, that's the Windows Direct Sound Driver did that as well. It was their oh. implementation of that. Like their direct media, uh, the Direct X talks directly to the hard drive. Uh, but in Windows 7, in their attempt to make it more secure, they disabled that because anytime you talk directly to the hardware, you you open up an opportunity to cause security issues. So in order to make things more secure, they made them less usable. Uh, so you, you can no longer in Windows uh, Vista or 7 talk directly to hardware. The, they, there used to be some holes in that hardware abstraction layer. Now they've plugged those. And Microsofts can still talk directly to the hardware, but nothing else can. Uh, is that a professor? Is that a reasonable summation well, of the situation? That's pretty reasonable. He's, he's the go-to guy for this knowledge. So I try to make it simple, and he then he berates me off the air and tells me how dumb I was. I don't have an opportunity to do that, but I'm still working on it for this episode. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then I'll go back to uh, one of mine, uh, also from Bjorn. Uh, he says, one of the schools I'm working with is looking to start a podcast from scratch. I'm a stickler about audio, so I want it to sound good. I'll be having at least two people in one small room, plus a Skype hangout or uh, Skype slash hangout for interviewing. I love my Elise's mixer, but I'm thinking that for students, I may go with two Audio-Technica ATR2100 USBs and an external USB uh, audio card connected to a Hangout computer, and then Reaper to mix it all together. Um, that's not going to work, Bjorn, because you got to pick one sound interface, and you can't have two. Uh, Reaper can't recognize two interfaces. On a uh, PC, it can't. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, is it, can it do it on a Mac? Mac has this thing called audio. I can't remember what, it, what it's called, but you basically take a bunch of sound cards and oh, aggregate like an aggregate aggregated music driver or something like that. So you can take all of your USB sound cards and make it into one unit that Apple recognizes. I think it's a little buggy. I think um, I wouldn't highly recommend it, but it can do it. But yeah, you, you, you could talk about Windows because that's probably what most of us are using. Yeah, Windows or Linux, uh, Reaper works on both of those uh, environments. And uh, those, in that situation, and in, in the case of, of the Mac too, it can only listen to one interface, and the the Mac is, is doing some trickery behind the scenes to, uh, to make it look like one interface. So your yeah. plan isn't going to work the way you want it to work. Uh, you might be able to trick the OS uh, using if you're using a Mac, uh, but... I wouldn't trust that. That adds an entire layer of complexity. It's definitely going to add latency. You might have syncing issues. Uh, so I say that having never tried it, just you know, understanding the the mathematics of the situation, I don't think it's a good idea. So I've tried it. You have? I went to Best Buy and bought two sound cards that were on sale. They were from Line 6, and they were, they were meant kind of for guitar, but I would, Mike worked for them anyway. Um, I brought them home, tried to plug two in one machine. It didn't work. Brought them back to Best Buy. I said, I need to return these because they don't both work. And he's like, of course they don't. And he just thought I was stealing the software out of them. So basically, <laughs> it's not a good idea. <laughs> so what you're going to have to do, um, and, and, and let me caution you about two people in one small room. 
mic placement and and use of mics is going to be a big issue there. I've done this before. Uh, I, in fact, just just this week's episode of one of our shows had two people in one room, and it was terrible uh, because you could he- hear the other in the other person's mic, and it was delayed through Skype hearing it again. It was uh, an editing nightmare, and it's still, after I spent hours on it, didn't sound very good, uh, oh, gating and, 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 and mixing things. So um, you can do two people in a small room. You can do it. But it needs to be, you're going to have to have some sound reinforcement to stop those sounds from back uh, bouncing off. You're going to have to have highly directional mics, and you have to have the people facing each other uh, off axis. So you, you don't want them directly facing one another. You want them offset one to the, to you know, uh, one a couple of feet away from the other, but facing each other. And, and that's the only way you're going to have any success there at truly multi-tracking. But then the only way you're going to truly multi-track uh, is to have separate sound cards or a device uh, that can act as separate sound cards. Or just make one like person stand side. outside. I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm going to have to change this whole thing around. <laughs> <laughs> He's sitting with his back to the camera in case you can't see that. So um, what I would recommend for you in your situation is just analog it. Get an analog mixer. Um, like, uh, you know, with that, that just a regular USB mixer, a cheap one, uh, and an, and an interface like the iMic pan one person all the way to the left, pan the other person all the way to the right, record in an audacity that way, uh, and then do your, your editing like that. So that's, uh, not going to be ideal. And it's certainly going to, uh, make things a little more complicated when you try to bring in the third Skype person, because now you've got, um, audacity trying to record, uh, through two interfaces, one the, the the external interface and the the sound card on the Skype, it's it's going to be ugly if you try to do it that way. I, w- I would also look at just multi-input interfaces, like a like a Focusrite that could take eight inputs, you know, because yeah. they also have routing built into software where you can pull in Skype callers and do it all internally. And I've never used it, but it ver- looked really interesting when I was you know eyeing it up. So it's worth a shot. Now, I'm sure the Linux zealots out there are waiting for me to mention Jack, uh, which is a way in Linux to route multiple audio sources into a single recording device. Uh, But I gathered from this that he was going to set it up so that non-technical users could use it, and that's not Jack. (laughs) I agree. I don't even... I I opened Jack a couple times, and I'm like, uh, I have to put thought into this. I'll I'll try later. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, an inexpensive... Um, multi-input interface is going to be your solution there, Bjorn. Uh, and by inexpensive, uh, $150, $200. Bucks. Does that sound about right? Yeah, for $200, bucks, you can get a multi-input interface. Definitely. So there you go. Any, any comments from the wise guy there, James? Yeah, the show was completely different when I was turned around. I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> It made everything um, better, didn't I like it? The, yeah, uh, I like the idea of having uh, making it as simple as possible. I don't necessarily think that moving away from a mixer makes things easier, but if you are having a simple USB connected audio device, is probably the best bet. Yeah, I think I, I'm always going to go with hardware over software. Uh, it's just I think it's more reliable. So I would I would spend your money on a mixer. On, on, a, on a digital mix, on the Alesis Multimix 8, it's 300 bucks. It's a little more. You know, it's about uh, half again more than you're going to pay for 
uh, a, a personas uh, a thing, but you're going to have more ability to do more stuff with it. You're going to have growing room. All right, that's mine. Uh, back to you, Steve. Uh, no, James. Really? Gosh, do I thought, other one? I thought, it, I thought it was my turn. <laughs> no, it's been going James, Steve, Mark. I just went, so it must be James. <laughs> uh, the question, this was probably a quick one for all of us. This is from Aaron Butler on Google Plus who asked, what other podcasts do you listen to that do it well? Which one would you recommend besides... Of course, the outstanding entertainment you can get from elementopi.com. But what other types of podcasts would we might want to listen to that would be uh, something that we could put our ear in and listen to and learn something from it? In a perfect case of circular irony, the only part of your entire statement there that broke up over Skype was when you said the excellent quality of elementopi.com. <laughs> right at that word, too. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I try to plan this out perfectly. Aaron <laughs> asked, what podcast should you listen to that you really like the quality, you really like the production, other than, of course, the excellent shows from elementopi.com? Ah, that was clear this time. So, uh, Steve, I'll let you go first. Pod notes. I think, <laughs> no, no. I, 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 like I've said before, I mean, people have complimented me on the audio quality of Podnuts, but I'm I'm always changing things still. Even in present time, I'm throwing compressors on and the software, and I'm messing with EQs and noise gates and all kinds of crap. I think that, especially before the This Week in Tech, Twit Network moved to the new um, their new studios where they're mainly focusing on video. Their audio is excellent at the old cottage and. Um, that is what I would use as a model. They, they usually have their levels set right. There's nice compressors on there. You could hear everybody clearly. Um, of all the shows I've listened to, that's, that probably ranks up in the best, uh, the Twit Network shows. And some of their shows where they are still audio-centric, uh, uh, Security Now, Windows Weekly, those guys where it's still two guys and a mic, uh, harken back to the, the older days. But when, when they go to that roundtable and they're trying to use the sat and really focus on video, uh, they change their mics. They're not using the, the PR40s anymore, or if they do, they're not right up in front of them because you can't see their faces when they're that way. So uh, we've right. talked about that before. You make a lot of concessions when you move to video and start focusing on that. Um, I'll say, the you know, uh, <laughs> prior to uh, Steve moving exclusively to using Google Hangout audio, his audio was some of the best around, but he that's a concession he's made. Uh, I don't uh, use recently. Google Hangout audio, Mark. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Oh, was, you mean for vi for video? You mean no for that was just a little dig. Uh, no, I think I think uh, Podnuts. We're speaking on Google Hangout right now right, too. By yeah. the way, okay. Uh, Podnuts dot com is a good place to go. Uh, and re honestly, uh, he was one of the first uh, people I listened to when I was doing market research. You know, I'm doing a podcast. Let me find uh, some of the people uh, who do it well. Um, also, Twit does it well. The home recording show, you know, we had Ryan Canestro on. Uh, they admittedly use an editing process that is far more labor labor intensive than than we espouse on the show. They record all their audio separately. They go through and edit out every little thing, and and often uh, edit out a lot of the ums and ahs and that sort of stuff. And I, I wish you know, they wouldn't do that. Right. For anybody listening, sorry to sidetrack you, Mark. For anybody listening, I, I really think it takes the naturalness out of a conversation when you shorten pauses between people speaking. I mean, that's just. It's a natural flow. Let it flow. Don't get too worried about even the ums and ahs. I say leave it all in there. Yeah, but go I ahead. Agree. I agree. I, I, in fact, I had this conversation just this week with somebody who had asked me some advice on editing. 
And one of the things that this person said they do is uh, edit out all of that sort of stuff. And I said, that's the, the audio equivalent of airbrushing a model in a magazine. Um, not only is it fake, it's not necessary. People know they, they want to listen to who you are. And you're not a professional broadcaster. Don't try to pretend like you are. Mm -hmm. Just be you. Now, if you are a professional broadcaster, you shouldn't have to rely on editing. You should edit yourself and get those verbal crutches out of your own speech. So uh, that's what I would say. Don't, don't digitally remove them. If you want them gone, make them go away yourself. <laughs> uh, so anyway, other podcasts that I listen to... Um, I've mentioned him on the show before. I'll, I'll do it again. I don't mind giving a, a free plug to uh, uh, the uh, podcast answer man, Cliff Ravenscraft. Uh, uh, he and I differ in almost every way that is possible to differ on our techniques, but the dude puts out a good quality podcast and he talks about how to podcast on a regular basis on the podcast answer man.com. Does he still use a uh, recorder or does he use a computer? No, he's the, his Roland Ederall whatever uh, okay. recorder, and he, okay. he does everything live. He doesn't do any post-production. Okay. Uh, so, you know, like, he, he and I, if you listen to his shows, uh, you'll hear, hear that he and I do things very differently, uh, yeah. but uh, he does the goods. And uh, the uh, one of his protégés, uh, The Audacity to Podcast, is another uh, show out there where the audio is good, the uh, technique is sound, uh, and he's worth listening to. So that's my advice. How about you, James? One of the very first podcasts I ever listened to was the instance uh, that Scott Johnson does at what is now called Frog Pants Studios. Um, he is has a background in broadcasting, so he appreciates the audio aspect of it. He's doing something that's not at all technical. It's a gaming podcast. But he did things like had skits in his podcast. There are audio bumpers. There's a, a bit of music when he's doing an ad. There's things that you're traditionally hearing when you're listening to the radio that he really brought into podcasting. And I listened to him to get tips on how could I change this? How could I make it better? What are some ideas uh, that I could use to make my podcast better? Cool. There you go. That's some good. I didn't know that one. So that's one I'm going to have to add to my list. I like him, too. He's, he's very real. If you just want to laugh but don't care about audio quality, uh, Judge John Hodgman is a funny podcast, but <laughs> don't go to there for tips on how to do a good audio production. <laughs> um, okay, so, Steve, now to you. Um, all right. He says, this is from Chris. He says, my name is Chris. I've been a longtime Podless fan for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> Long time for a little while. <laughs> That's awesome. He says, my question isn't so much about any of your shows, but more about podcasting. My buddy has been doing a comedy slash current events slash video game podcast for a few years now. And over the past year, they have been able to get their show on iTunes. It was working before and they have been busting their head over this for a while now. I was curious if maybe you had some experience or some tips that could help them out. Also, they were curious if there was any way they could make their website more podcasty. I'm not really sure what that means, but they want the Diaz show.com to look more like a website for a podcast, I guess. I know you're a very busy man, but any recommendations would be awesome. Thank you so much. And just a, a, a little editorial there. I think he meant unable to get their stuff on, on iTunes, but he said uh, able. Oh, yeah. That's why it didn't quite make sense for, to me. I'm thinking they had it in the past and it stopped working for some reason. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Good call. Um, 
Well, first of all, regarding the whole thing, actually, if you want an unpodcasty looking website that is easy to put on iTunes, and you're not going to be doing multiple shows like Podnuts or Elmanope, um, I would just definitely fire up a WordPress blog, um, plug in. I think it's called PowerPress as the plugin for yep. uh, WordPress plugin, and that is pretty much. And find a good theme. There's so many podcast or uh, WordPress themes that make your site look like whatever you want: podcasty, artsy, musicy, whatever e you want. You could find it with uh, WordPress themes. That's so, the title of the show: whatever e you want. I love that. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it looks like, and I actually went to the site. It looks like they did. This must be an old email because they do have a pretty podcasty looking site now at thediazshow.com. They are using WordPress. Um, and WordPress automatically makes an RSS feed that all you got to do is take that, go to iTunes, go to the store, say, here's my RSS feed, plug it in, hit submit, and you're on iTunes. Pretty much that easy. Um, so WordPress is a really good tool for, for doing this, I think. It's the, probably the most beginner-friendly tool. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, it's you get what you get on the first day, and you can't really grow from it. So you, uh, if you if you're not happy with the way it looks today, you're you're kind of going to be stuck with that. If you're using the PowerPress press and WordPress, if you want uh, more versatility, you're going to have to pay the piper and get something more difficult, but uh, also more versatile like Drupal. Yeah, that's what me and Mark both use Drupal. James, are you using Drupal too? No, WordPress is incredibly flexible, and you guys diss it every opportunity you get. But <laughs> I like no, WordPress. I was dis- just just to be uh, specific, I was dissing PowerPress, not oh, WordPress. Okay. Well, oh. PowerPress not played with. So uh, I I like Drupal. I like I use Joomla in the past. I use WordPress now. Uh, I find WordPress to be very very flexible to do some of the things I want to do. I think it helps a lot if you get a really good theme. I'm with Steve on that one. Um, I use uh, some from Solo Stream. That's one of the ones that that I take advantage of. They have uh, some that are even specific to uh, video for pictures, for media. They have a lot of different kinds out there. But you go to whoever you think might be, you know, find there's plenty of sites out there for themes. Find one that looks good. You'd be surprised how you can take a single theme, load it up in your content management system, regardless of whether it's Drupal or WordPress or anything else, and magically the entire site feels completely different. Yeah. So spend a little bit of time and do that. You'd be surprised how easy it is. My website, I got up and running with a theme and just tweaked a few things. And people say, wow, you really spent a lot of time. I go, yes, I did. I spent quite a long time building this site to look this way. And I didn't do anything. Well, you also you said James there. Don't be afraid to spend a little time. Also, don't be afraid to spend a little money. I mean, you can for fifty or a hundred bucks, you can have somebody make you a custom WordPress theme, uh, and it's a and it's an investment worth making. Or uh, you could buy like a premium theme and right. some of the free sites, and they're really good too. I you know all the new sites I make now, I pretty much make it a WordPress site. So James, I am a fan of WordPress. How dare you! Yeah, I, I I like WordPress too, but when you're using the PowerPress plugin, it uh, limits your WordPress install in a lot of ways. Ah, I didn't know that. Interesting. Th- that's my experience with it. Now, it it may be a new version that that's not the case, but a couple of years ago when I was playing with it, I found it too restrictive to do what I wanted to do. Huh. Uh, and I'm out of feedback, uh, out of questions. Anybody else have anything else? 
Ah, that was a good uh, set. Yeah, that was good. So uh, thanks for bringing those in, guys, and for your questions and comments. And uh, when I'm making the uh, show notes here, I will go through and put links to your uh, those of you who, who link to your podcast or whatever. I'll give you a little free plug there because you gave us free content. Uh, so thanks for that. And uh, uh, anything else? Any other final words before we uh, move out of the Q&A section? All right. No. So moving on to the lesson you learned this week. Uh, Steve, what did you learn this week? I learned, I got to really not bring it home, like um, push this home because I learned that what I talked about at the beginning of the show about modifying your computer and CPUs and you can't return them to stores and that whole thing. Don't just think that it, you can upgrade any machine that a processor will fit into. You got to read some documentation. So yeah, that's what I learned. <laughs> It's instructions are what you read after you broke it, Steve. Uh, yeah, I did. You heard the way I said that. Like, <laughs> gotta read documentation. Yeah. Not my favorite thing. Ten points deduction from your man card. <laughs> Actually, I'm one of those guys who, I, because I'm such a geek, the first thing I do when I get a new gadget is read the instructions before I even unpack it. I read it cover to cover. I memorize, you know, the manual to to some extent, and then I start playing with it. That's just the guy. Yeah. The way I am. That's a very smart thing to do. Anytime I buy a car, like before, like as soon as I get it home, I crack out the manual and read it cover to cover. That's just the way I am. And wow. since it's only once every 15 years, it's not a lot of time out of my life. What about I never you, read my car manual, but no. I should have. <laughs> but then when you're stuck on the side of the road, you don't remember where the jack is. You got to dig it out and look for it under the, the light of the dome light. Or I had cruise control on, and I thought my car was going to, like, had tr like transmission trouble from the, from the little indicator. I'm like, what is that light? It won't go off. So, yeah, I probably should have read the manual. All right, James, what did you learn this week? I, I will tell you, Steve, that the story of the, the CPU thing you went through is, is a fantastic tale. And for my students who are watching my A-plus stuff, I'm absolutely using that story on our next live stream that we do with our study group. It's, uh, cool. it's one of those things you tell people over and over. And here's a practical example of how some of those things, just the little tiny little pieces can really screw everything up for you. For yeah. me, um, I decided after we did a, a podcast a couple of weeks ago on how to improve the quality of our audio. And I went back to some of my videos. I did some uh, recording yesterday, um, saved the video and the audio and started editing. I started tweaking some of the things we talked about, working with the equalization. And I sat down to, I had it all set up and, and just in a preset. And I applied that preset to the video and I started listening to it. And I thought, that sounds really good. That really made a big improvement over what I was doing before. So my tip of the day is to take your tip of the day. Uh, listen, to, <laughs> maybe, maybe I should take my own advice every once in a while and just spend, I didn't even spend a lot of time. I spent 30 minutes. How about like this? How about like this? It's like going to the eye doctor, like this or like this, like this. <laughs> They're exactly like the same, doc. <laughs> In my case, I tweaked it just right. It's one of those things, though, you do get a little wonky with your ears. You have to bring people in and say, all right, listen to this and listen to this. Which one's better? Am I crazy? And they go, it sounds the same. Or they go, this one sounds horrible because you get to a point where you can't make yeah. any difference. But once you have that down, I saved everything as a preset. Now I just started loading it up on my videos. I'm really happy with the way that turned out. So thanks, awesome. guys. 
Well, that's great. <laughs> and uh, the lesson I learned, or it's it's a lesson I learned a long time ago, but this show uh, bears uh, stands as a reminder of that. Trust yourself. Trust your instincts. You know, like I said, we didn't have much to go on uh, for this show, but here we are an hour and 15 minutes in, uh, and I think it was a good show. And the show I just did, just before this, our Linux show, the guest backed out. I mean, it's not his fault. He had something come up. But literally like 15 minutes before showtime, the guest we had and all the notes we were going to do went away. And so we had to, to vamp. So it, trust yourself. And if you've got co-hosts, trust them to to pull things together. You don't always have to. I'm, I'm a planner. You don't have to always plan everything to death. You can just go in and improvise and and trust people and make things happen. So uh, if you're out there and you're over planning, sometimes it's a good thing to just step away from that. That's my tip this week. Good tip. Excellent. So the guys, this is the time where you cash your paycheck in the form of the plug. You've given me an hour and 15 minutes <laughs> of your time. You get now 30 seconds to plug your stuff. What a great deal. Uh, so we'll start with you, Steve. Definitely go over to howtopodcast.biz. Um, half of the videos from that video collection are on YouTube for free. I might not keep them up there. I've been debating it this whole week. So um, you're running out of time if you want to just check out half the videos for free. They're all about podcasting. It's a seminar I did last year, and uh, I basically just brain dumped everything I know about podcasting into these videos. And I really I tried to leave nothing out. There's pretty much nothing my throat can vouch for it. There's nothing else I could have said in those 10 hours of talking about podcasting. So uh, check them out. I think it'll help you guys who are trying to get started. And that's howtopodcast.biz or YouTube and search howtopodcastbiz. Yes. Thank you, Mark. And James, how about yourself? Well, I've got uh, tons of videos. We're almost approaching uh, 900 videos on YouTube and uh, probably by now, I think we just passed 9 million views total online. Wow. Damn, James. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. At professormesser.com, awesome. we've got A-plus videos where we talk about how to choose a CPU. We have videos <laughs> on, on Network Plus, on networking and understanding how to do that. We have security videos that talk about encryption types and public key encryption and how VPNs work. I've got Linux videos that have been started. There's, there's a lot of things going on over there. So feel free to stop by. You can find it all at professormesser.com. And James, you've inspired me. Nine million views. I'm going to start making videos on how to hang bed padding on a wall. One of these days, I'm going to figure out how all of that happened. (laughs) You've been doing this, what, like six years now, James? It is about four and a half, five years, somewhere in there. Yeah, it's involved. So it's (laughs) it's a five-year overnight success story. That's It's so true. Well, uh, I have nothing but thanks for the two of you for your uh, for your expertise and your uh, witty repartee. So thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks for listening out there. Uh, you're the reason we do this. Literally, we wouldn't do this without you. So thanks. Uh, and the, I would encourage you to spread the word. Just as we have listed some of our favorite podcasts, I'd like you to take the opportunity every chance you get to spread the word about our podcast. Let people know that you like it. Let people know it's a good thing and why it's a good thing. If you don't think it's a good thing, let us know so we can make it better. And the way you do that... Let Mark, let Mark know. Let me go. Okay. Go to elementop.com and uh, there's a contact us button right at the top. Uh, or you can uh, use uh, go in the forums there if it's a public derision you're looking for. So um, 
You can do that. Or if you want to be on the show in at least a small way, uh, you can uh, leave us a voicemail. Uh, Google Voice will call you even. You don't even have to be, uh, you can be so lazy to not even dial the phone. Just click a button and Google Voice will call you. We love having voicemails and your emails and comments. Keep them coming and we will read them on the show as, as time permits and maybe even give you some good answers to it. So uh, we appreciate that. Uh, also, if you happen to be on YouTube's, uh, YouTube's, iTunes, um, give us a give us a rank and a uh, comment, if you will. The more of those, the better. That simply tells Apple, hey, there's people who like this show. Maybe we should give it some attention. So, uh, go out there, go to go to iTunes and and rank us four or five or seven stars. That would be great. Seven star reviews are preferred. Definitely seven. Uh, so thanks, guys. And on behalf of James Messer and Steve Cherubino, I will simply say that that ends this episode of The Art of Podcasting.